everybody and welcome back to season four of Sequelizers, the show all about fixing the bad sequels to good movies. As always, I am your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me, my three sequelizing compadres, Mr. Matthew Stogden. I don't do nudity. It's good to know. Mm. Mr. Timothy Matum. Hey, where are you going with that paint can? And Mr. Alec Plowman. Yeah, looks like... <laughs> wow that's that's some re- like that's genuine deep cut references yeah usually it's like really obvious shit mm-hmm. we do or like just sound effects and stuff or just yeah hello or something that just isn't a reference <laughs> i just you guys nailed the reference congratulations given that we're recording this on the hottest day of the year i did think about just going it's so fucking moist. isn't it not the hottest day of the year it's the hottest day of ever yeah this yeah. country's never been this hot the hottest day of england's history and we are sat in Matt Stockton's uh, <laughs> leathery, <laughs> leathery living room. Black leather sofas, ladies oh, and gentlemen, with all the windows closed yep. so that we can bring you a slice of moist content. <laughs> and it certainly is moist today, ladies and gentlemen. Moist pie. If you can hear the moisture in the air, listeners, you're welcome. Monero Mom's Moist Pie. Speaking of Monero, Pizza and film. well done. Well done, Matthew. That's a nice little segue. Yeah. We're fixing the sequel to 1977's Saturday Night Fever, 1983's Stayin' Alive this episode. Which, let's face it, nobody knows exists, really. <laughs> I didn't know it exists until one, whoever brought it up brought it up. I Because fuck me. It was, I, it was me. <laughs> I was aware of it by reputation, but I'd never seen it. This is the first film on sequelizers where all of the sequelizers have sat down together to actually watch it for yeah. the first time. Well, yeah. Yeah. Matt, Matt had seen it before. Surprise, fucking surprise. Yeah. Matt had seen it for some reason. Because, Matt, I think you've seen every film? No. Oh. No. I don't some haven't you. come out yet. Ah, <laughs> you've seen every film that exists so far. Uh, somewhere in my memory. As yeah. of today's day. Sure. And the three of us, Tim, Alec and I, watched it for the first time and had a, a wonderful, terrible, painful time. <laughs> Not only that, we, we also recently not all together although alec and i did uh watch together uh watched saturday night fever for the first time mm, yeah i hadn't we, seen it until the day before we sat down and watched yeah um staying alive so, which yeah. for anyone else who has who knows only kind of through reputation it's a bloody good film yeah it is the r-rated version is a bloody the, good yes, yeah, yeah. yes. So everybody knows and kind of parodies the pg version you just get like the strut parody and the dance parody and that's mm-hmm. it and it's like oh it's john travolta Pfft, it's about dancing no, it's kind of about like suicide and rape and like real dark, mm-hmm. actual gritty, realistic themes and stuff. Then staying alive happens six years later <laughs> and just throws all that shit out the fucking window. And like, let's just do a sequel to the PG version. There's no drugs. There's no swearing. There's no nothing. There's no actual characters or interesting thing happening <laughs> in the sequel because fuck the first movie. So this, I think, is one of the weirdest sequels that we've ever covered on Sequelizer. It might be one of the weirdest films I've ever seen, period. I'm, like, I, full stop. And I think what's really weird about it is the specificities of this sequel and the specificities of Saturday Night Fever as a very particular kind of film that worked perfectly in a particular moment. Yes. yes. Saturday Night Fever is undeniably a 70s film in terms of all of its themes and in terms of the way it does things. And it taps into that disco trend and it's right on trend it taps into disco just as it's starting to emerge and by the time that the film hits disco has sort of jumped into the mainstream so it's absolutely on the zeitgeist which is part of the reason it's such a massive hit 
But then by the time they make a sequel, the 70s has turned into the 80s. We're yeah. dealing with a very different sort of cultural values, a very different sort of cinema. And disco has died a and death Disco as well. is no longer a thing, and the whole new Hollywood moment is over. And I think that's probably one of the biggest problems they had when it came to this is by 19, by the early 80s, John Travolta's a hot property because he's done Grease and there's been the PG cut of Saturday Night mm-hmm. Fever. So John Travolta is a household name. Yeah, and he, like, he's a family-friendly yeah. actor now. Yes. Which is, yeah. yes. And they're like, so they're like, John Travolta is massive. Saturday Night Fever was a huge success that kind of came out of nowhere and took everyone by surprise and cost no money to make and made all the money. Mm. We need to do a sequel to this. But at the same time, everything has changed. Disco is no longer a thing. People now think of John Travolta as a family-friendly actor. We couldn't make an R-rated sequel if we wanted just because of the way that the movie marketplace works at the moment. Mm. And we couldn't have it deal with the kind of themes that we want it to in a post-Star Wars, post-Raiders, post-ET landscape. Mm. So... They end up making one of the weirdest <laughs> films that I've ever seen. It's such an odd movie from the start that kind of forgets that it's the sequel to Saturday Night Fever pretty much from the get-go. And that's a problem we've had with so many of these other sequels is the the retcon thing of it. Like, ah, oh, the first one didn't happen. We'll just set you back to the status quo or whatever and just like, or it just completely ignores it or whatever it does. It's, it's a huge problem with so many sequels. It's also really interesting to note that as much as... I mean, obviously, I'm going to echo what everyone said. Saturday Night Fever is a fantastic film. It's massively underrated because of the parodies and the satires that have gone around yeah, it. I was amazed at how good that film was. Yeah. I had no idea what to expect. I was like, I probably won't care about this. Entirely. And then uh, Alec and Tim both were like, we really enjoyed it. I was like, <laughs> oh, thank God. Yeah. I really enjoyed it too. Yeah. And this thing is a classic for a reason. Multiple reasons, as I say, with a PG version. But again, people don't seem to either appreciate, understand, or remember that... It's not just a film about disco. That's what it was known for. It's a working class, son of an immigrant sort of story about uh, life in America. And more importantly, life when you think you're going to make it and it's not going to work out for you. It's not the big Hollywood, um, almost Rocky-esque underdog ending. It's everything is shit and you will not end up this quite well. The interesting thing with Staying Alive is that it feels like sorry, with Saturday Night Fever, rather, is that it feels kind of like the anti-Rocky. He's got the yes. Rocky poster on his wall in the first film, and mm-hmm. which is something Tim and I noticed straight yeah. away while watching it. And you feel like that in itself is almost a commentary. It's almost as if Rocky went, here's the fantasy, and then Saturday Night Fever turned around and went, well, actually, here's the reality, mm. which is part of the reason that Staying Alive is so weird, because Staying Alive <laughs> is essentially a sequel to Rocky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really fascinating just how much of their time both of these films are, because you look at Saturday Night Fever and it's it's kind of versed in 70s cinema. Like it, it feels like it's coming out of that, you know, um, new Hollywood movement. It referenced, there's a Rocky poster up in his room, like we said. He talks about Al Pacino. Um, Bruce Lee as well. He's got a Bruce Lee poster. Yes, he's got <laughs> a Bruce Lee poster up. And it is it is dealing with that kind of the American issues of the time where it's it's confused about, you know, it's, it's post-Vietnam. It's confused about where the country's going. Mm-hmm. It's frustrated youth. It is the city grinding you down. It's touching on all these themes. And then you get to staying alive and it's this very glitzy 
aspirational. It's morning in America. Yes, exactly. Well, and we're, we're into we're well into Reagan era mm-hmm. as well, and I mean, and it's an interesting one because uh, it's not the only franchise that goes through that that shift because it's very much like what happens between First Blood and First Blood Part Two Rambo, mm-hmm. which is this. There is this seismic shift as the decade goes on, where. First Blood is this Vietnam trauma movie, which is like, how do we deal with the Vietnam, like like veterans coming home and we're mistreating our veterans and this whole mm-hmm. war was a mistake. And then the second one is, <laughs> what if he goes back and wins Vietnam? Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and that's um, like, like you, you can see the mind shift set there and staying alive is very much a product of that. Yes. Um, well, the that fact that narrative. Tony Monero literally dresses like fucking Rambo for half of this film has, <laughs> has the haircut and the bandana and just just mega rip the whole time for basically no reason. And well, I mean, there is a reason he's mega rip. He's a dancer. I can see yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, but those shoulders are insane. Like he's but, way more ripped than anyone else in this film. I feel, but well, I, he's just topless more. I don't know. Yeah, I think probably probably point two. But I think that the other thing to remember, of course, is that this film was directed by fucking Rambo. Yeah, which is a point that we should uh, <laughs> and Rocky. It's the yeah. same guy. Mm-hmm. We've referenced both of those films. A good, a good friend Sylvester Stallone. I want to do a movie about dancing. That yeah. was essentially Sylvester how Stallone I can it directed went. Staying Alive. And it stars, but he cameos in it, and then fucking Frank Stallone shows up, and you're like, ah, "We see what you're doing." I'm gonna play some of my music for you. Yeah. Oh God! <laughs> Frank Stallone wrote multiple songs for the soundtrack and is playing guitar and singing in universe <laughs> on stage for no fucking reason. And there was literally a moment because uh, as we were watching, it, I was like, "That guy looks like Frank Stallone." Fuck me, is Frank Stallone? <laughs> and we're like. Frank Stallone's a singer-songwriter. When the fuck did this happen? It's like, he's been a singer-songwriter for like 35 years. Oh, it apparently does, so. In one of the film's few highlights, though, it does have a great gag about rhythm guitarists. <laughs> yeah. Which, oh, yeah, um, that's true. Don't yeah. trust rhythm guitarists. They're all, they're all liars or something. And something per- weird. Liars and perverts. And perverts. And perverts. Just, that was it, yeah. And, yeah. and Alec is just sat there shrinking in his seat, being like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't deny that this is true, <laughs> but um, I repeatedly try to. Oh, well. I mean, we've we've spoken about how there's lots of sequels that we've dealt with where they reset the characters back to zero. This film, it doesn't even feel like that. It feels like it's a completely different character. Entirely, entirely. Um, there's nothing that carries over from the first film of the the kind of the even the direction that he because Tony, where we leave him at the end of Saturday Night Fever, is. He's desperate to get out and you can tell that like dance is this one thing that makes him feel like he's got some spark in his life and it separates him out from the crowd. Um, but it it doesn't feel like that's necessarily what he wants to do in life. It's just the thing that makes life livable. Whereas this film... It's his release, it's his it's, vice yeah, kind of thing, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. um, yeah, they make a whole point of it in the first film that he doesn't... Um, he doesn't really drink he doesn't do drugs he dances um and then you get to this film and it's like yeah now i'm gonna make it on broadway in a completely different style of dance (laughs) but i guess that's where you go when disco's died Mm. it feels to me as silly as this sounds he feels closer to danny zuko than he does tony monero absolutely yeah zuko is the lighter I know it's 50s, obviously, different decades and different characters entirely, but it's the softer version. In in, in uh, Saturday Night Fever, he's a creepy, womanizing, 
prick mm. and also emotionally abusive and all those sorts of things. But Zuko is just selfish and dumb. Yeah. Um, and then if you add that he has knows how to dance, problem solved. You get Tony Monero in the, Staying Alive. The womanizing thing is about the only thing that comes back yeah. in any sort of semi-significant way. And then it kind of just doesn't matter because he gets back with the original, not the original girl even from the first film, but the, the first girl from the beginning of the film. And they try and make that like a part of the subplot, but it just kind of doesn't happen. And the the significant thing is like in the first film, Tony's womanizing. It's kind of like psychologically complex. Mm. Like, yes. like yes. it's it's this fucked up reaction to the world that he's in and the culture that he's in. Whereas in this, he's just kind of a smarmy prick. I thought I was being really charming. Yeah, you slammed <laughs> the door, in the my, door face. my face. Yeah, yeah. And a big part of the problem here as well is that this film is so underwritten in terms of motivation and in yeah. terms of there are so there were um, you know we were almost playing the sort of bingo catching these <laughs> out there are so many scenes where um he just says what it is that is supposed to be his internal conflict or his emotional feelings at that point um i without, thought i was being really charming but you slammed the door in my face is something no one has ever yeah. said out loud which again but, is something that rocky would do yeah all yeah. the time but there there's like a specific line where he's like yeah i used to have a problem with womanizing and i'm trying not to do that anymore because i used to be a worse character but now i'm a better character mm. there's that thing we never mm. actually get shown these moments nope. we never get any development in that there's never any investment in that the film just feels like it has to tick those boxes almost to explain to you how like what the fuck it is you're watching because <laughs> yeah. it's that thing of I, i'm watching essentially a different movie yeah. at the moment and the movie has to signpost that it is a different movie but just come back quickly to rocky I think this is an interesting film because he has essentially been remade into a Sylvester Stallone-style protagonist. Yeah. Here. I wonder who did that. <laughs> mm. Maybe the guy who wrote and directed this mm. fucking movie. But but then again, in the in the culture at the time, the Sylvester Stallone-type underdog archetype is just so pervasive. I don't know what else really they could have done. Because the truth is, if in 83 they had made a straight sequel to Saturday Night Fever it would have bombed. It would have completely tanked because the world was in such a different place. Mm -hmm. And it's that weird thing where because of the legacy of that film, you have people going, we want that, but we don't really want that because we're <laughs> not that sort of world anymore. Yeah. We want that, but we want this. Mm -hmm. And you can see the internal conflict and why Sylvester Stallone seems like the logical choice to direct a, a dancing movie <laughs> given the... Um, uh, the Rocky franchise at this point is like the biggest thing in the world. Um, I want to pick up on two things Alec just said there. First is John Travolta delivers every line the same in this <laughs> film and it's infuriating because I, you can't tell if he is lying and trying to be charming and, and, and doing a kind of faux honesty. Which could be a key part of his character considering who he is from the first film. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Or he's just literally speaking his brain, um, but with kind of this weird affect on it. And because he just constantly says exactly what he's thinking, but that isn't very consistent from scene to scene, it's this, he just, he, he turns him into this weird enigma where you're like, who you are not a human person you are just like you were just like a, a very fancy mannequin that's saying things 
Um, and the other thing I'll say is we talked about how this tries to turn it into a into a rocky kind of underdog story, and it's so frustrating because like. Be, becoming a Broadway dancer is extremely hard mm. and nothing that we see Tony go through seems it doesn't seem like he's being particularly held back he's like he's a straight white man so he hasn't got anything like that holding him mm. back and like all the challenges that he faces just seem to be like well yes that is what being a Broadway dancer would be like and yet he's constantly going on about how like like oh you know nobody's taking a chance on me and it's like well, yeah, it's not like it doesn't even go into stuff of like the fact that he has no prof or as far as we're aware, he has no professional training as a dancer. Yeah, that never gets brought up. Mm. He like, just transfers it, from disco dancing to interpretive theatre dance. Yes, mm -hmm. and is fucking amazing. Yeah, just mm -hmm. straight away. And, and it's and it's so frustrating because other people also treat you like oh i'm not sure if i can take a chance on you and he's clearly the best dancer in this <laughs> yeah and they were like oh you're, you're shit tony get yeah. fuck off and he's clearly the best one there and he's never bad at it but they tell him he's bad and he does the exact same thing again and they're like oh my god what a hero tony yeah. monero is amazing <laughs> he did the same fucking dance what's the difference <laughs> this is a kind of a problem whenever you have any kind of character who is naturally talented as an actor um, like a singer trying to hide that they can't sing sort of thing. Or somebody who's like, oh, I'm playing this violin really badly. It's like, you play perfectly. And I can tell you can play perfectly. Um, so yeah, the real character development comes... You can't stop Travolta from dancing. You can't stop him. Um, that's, that's kind of true. Even though like... Literally can't hold him back. like Michael and he's just like bopping down the stairs. like, he has good rhythm. Um, so the idea in this time gap between the six years that pass is where the real story takes place with the death of disco and this guy not succeeding and maybe trying to get into a different style of music. That's where the real story would be. Um, the real, you know, a central conflict for the character. But as Tim said, the fact that he fucking transitions and the way this is cut and edited and shot is so ridiculous because there's, it, it's brutal in, in how, how many cuts are on the first scene and other than, other, as Tim said, other than a director saying, oh, God, this is a, the worst bunch of dancers I've ever seen. It's like, are they? I can't tell. And also, Travolta's really tall and muscly and dancing like a fucking beast. He kind of stands out as the best one here <laughs> and he can't hide it. So when he's looking frustrated, like, I worked out on them, you know, they wouldn't give me a chance. Who needs them? It's like, yeah, you, you're clearly better than everyone there. They can't see it. <laughs> Fuck them. And then by the end of the film, when he's doing his fucking karate chopping, oh, launching through the sky shit, it's very well, evident. He's the star of Satan's Alley. Sa yeah. Sorry, yes, of course, we should mention that there's a, a musical called Satan's Alley. <laughs> um, and he just ad-libs the ending. And it's perfect because there's only one performance, apparently. But the point is that it, it, it's so evident that the film doesn't seem to understand a dancing um, or be a I feel like that's a key thing yeah. for a Saturday Night Fever sequel or a progression of talent and he gets better he's just he's just skilled at all types of dance which is fine he can be a dancer who's skilled at everything problem is we need to then have some other conflicts for him and it starts doing this at the start with this idea of hang on there are these female characters who are like, this is the 80s motherfucker. You can't talk to me like that. You can't touch me. You're nothing. And they say, oh, whoa, this is turning on me. And I thought, oh, this is progressive. Yeah, Karen's character is the most interesting thing about this film and the fact that she has a one-night stand with Tony and then he's like, oh, we should take this further. And she's like, no, it's just a one-night stand. Don't take it so seriously. And yeah. he is the one that's let down and he's the one that has yeah. to deal with that shit. And it's nice to not have it the other way around where he's been womanizing people his entire fucking life. And finally she turns around to him and is like, 
not my fucking problem. You're offended. Like, he literally says, I've never had the best belief before. It's like, well, this is the first time. Get out. Congratulations. Yeah. Welcome to the 80s. Welcome to, yeah, the era of like empowered women and stuff. Like now is that we're finally getting a bit more progressive. Ah, oh, fuck it. Just on the, the rest of the film. Yeah. He just sexually harasses his co-star and everybody goes, yay, <laughs> congratulations. I should quickly point out her name isn't Karen. It's not it's Karen. Not, it's Laura, but they established the character so poorly that we went through the Laura. film thinking she was called Karen. <laughs> when is she ever called? Somebody's called Karen. Jesus I saw Karen Christ. in the fucking subtitle. Maybe the subtitles were wrong. That, could be, that could be likely. Um, so something that I think we should come on to, uh, which Matt has hinted at there, is uh karen satan's satan's alley, satan's satan's alley. alley. let's take a trip up satan's so, alley <laughs> so to um for a bit of context if you haven't seen the film and if you haven't then god why would you um because we have a movie tree movie commentary we do have a movie commentary available to our uh available to our patrons but we can we can plug that a bit later um so the last what like 15 20 minutes of the film mm. is the musical interpretive dance thing we don't really know what it is that they have been putting on called satan's alley none of the montages we see of them dancing give us a hint of what the oh, fuck oh, is in coming way, yeah. in way to the final sequence which is just like a fucking meatloaf video <laughs> it is, yeah. there's minutes. a giant like it's... xenomorph face a satan thing in the background oh. she's in a full like britney spears red cat suit thing and mm. i guess she's satan and then There's, he's like sexy Jesus, clear. but also kind of like He-Man at one point. And I think it's <laughs> And then it goes to, all BDSM and yeah, really fucking sexy. And he just gets like crucified by sexy whips. <laughs> and there's, um, <laughs> I think it's meant to represent his inner turmoil and all the things he's going through. But honestly, what the fuck? <laughs> there was so much dry ice and lasers. Oh, it's, it's like 90% dry ice. One shot having no continuity to yes. the next shot. They, they, there's a bunch of leaping shots of yeah. Tony and, as we now know, Laura leaping at each other. But they both leap like four different times mm. in succession. And there's no sense of where the stage is. It, They're just leaping into thin air. And then she leaps as well. And then so does he. And then so does her. And it makes no fucking sense. It's a terrible idea of terrible um, directing and terrible editing with lack of spatial awareness. And you're like, what am I watching? But, yeah. but that's not the only moment for that. Uh, I should point my, One of my favorite moments in the film comes earlier on where he's meant to be having a serious discussion with Laura. Oh. But they have shot it in such a way that John Travolta appears to be about <laughs> 11 foot tall <laughs> because of the way they it's shot the over-the-shoulder camera. Literally, like, in the back of her hair, aimed yeah. up. And Travolta's like 6'3", six, 6'4". So he's a pretty tall, tall guy, but this shot makes him look like inhumanly massive. And also, and also, there's a gate that's black and you can't see it. And he yes. looks like he's leaning on a yeah. building. Yeah. Like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. It looks like a green screen of buildings. And then he leans on you like, is he Godzilla? Yeah, the, ba the, background, <laughs> the background is non-discernible. Uh, the foreground is non-discernible. So it just blends into the yep. skyline. Yep. So it's just John Travolta surfing in the air. <laughs> I don't know if that was a contrast <laughs> issue on the specific version that we were watching, but it was ridiculous. I was, I was just checking on uh, YouTube to see if you could just watch the Satan's, Satan's Alley part um, because yeah. because I would say don't watch this film but if you can watch the last 20 minutes of this <laughs> film it's worth it and what I had completely forgotten about is that Satan's Alley is also the name of the fake movie trailer at the start of Tropic Thunder oh, yeah. with ah. Robert Downey Jr. and Tobey Maguire as gay monks <laughs> 
Maybe that's what the interpretive dance was. It was that story being retold. I mean, if if they must if have this... gotten that from Staying Alive, right? Uh, maybe. I don't think a lot of people watch Staying Alive. <laughs> Satan's Alley is just a phrase. Um, yeah, if the, if if this if this had like dot, um, sort of stepped into like Tony's Catholicism as an Italian American, oh, that'd and have then, been good. And then, yeah. and then had Satan's Alley as this big metaphor. Like he, he also invites his really Catholic mum. Yeah, <laughs> and it. Who loves it? Yeah, but, she yeah, does. She's, I should, she's like crying at the end. I should point out that we also just straight up abandon a bunch of characters because his mum. So you mean you mean all the characters? His entire fucking family. His, so, but but who aren't even mentioned? No, like so his family, all of his friends from. There's the a first fucking film. priest of a brother his, mm. that never comes up, and he's in fucking Satan's Alley. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, so all of these people just get jettisoned. We just kind of because, and I think again, it's because it's like okay, seventies movie. We had to deal with all these complex. Uh, characters, none of whom, are, you know, not not necessarily nice characters, except for his mum. So it's that thing of, you know, his dad's a bastard, and his brother is having this crisis of faith, and his his friends are awful, mm. and it's that thing of, um, oh, how do we deal with all that? How do we deal with the how do we deal with the repercussions of that girl that got gang raped by his friends in the back of his car? Mm. So, oh, we just don't. We just forget all that shit happened yep. and move on to dancing. Yep. And oh god. And it, it tries to do the emotional moment, like the big emotional moment of the film is where he puts on the Saturday Night Fever white suit oh, and is like, oh, oh my god. The ending. I'm, no, this is not the ending. This oh. is this is going back oh, to his shit. mum's There's house. A midpoint. Yeah. Because okay. he doesn't have the suit on for the final strut, which we'll talk about in a moment. <laughs> but he like gets rejected and has to walk home as in from Manhattan to Brooklyn back to his mum's house. <laughs> but it's cut in that it looks like it takes two minutes yep. <laughs> because it's not like you think like Forrest Gump where he goes running and running and running and they're like do this really long takes and really mm. long cuts of like montages and mm. shit. And he's just like he just walks down a bridge for like a 30 second shot and then his mum's house is there and it goes nighttime, daytime. Let's have some pie. You're like, what yeah. the fuck happened there? Yeah. I expected him to like knock on the door and like crumble at his mum's feet. Like, what do I do, Ma? I've still not made it. Mm. The suit isn't working. I'm not doing anything. Like, what do I do with my life? Dancing isn't... Disco's dead. Like, what do I do now? Disco's dead. How do I deal with my life right now? We see the pristine white suit and it's all sweaty and grubby yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. And... Yeah, mm. he's like been rained on and be covered in mud and like some pathetic fallacy going on or yeah. something. And... His mum's just like, you like your pie? And he's like, no, I don't drink or smoke. Wait, what? We know what? We already know that. What do you mean? Like, oh, I'm not a good bad guy anymore. Like, ah, it's why? Just, it's How line, come? You you're saying I'm, I'm, I'm a bastard now as will be? I mean, yeah, kind of, Tony. Yeah, you like, were, well, yeah, maybe I will have some pie. Thanks, and then, mom. And then, and then she's <laughs> like, you don't apologize for nothing, Tony. You carrying on being an Italian American bastard. Mm -hmm. like, Wait, what? Yeah, the conclusion <laughs> of that scene is so weird because he basically. Comes to his mum and he's like, Mom, I've done bad things. I'm a bad person. I'm not a good person. And then she goes, Yeah, but that's how you got out of here. So it's it's all good. Sort of. But then he goes, But I'm a good person now. So it's fine. Like, and I've got these tickets for you, twenty six dollars. Uh, yeah, <laughs> got these tickets for you, so everything's fine. She's like, I'll have some more pie as well. Yeah. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> this is the the only two like returning characters from the first fucking film that could have an emotional moment together. Mm. And they're like, Nah. Just just speak about your previous character and now your current character and how none of it makes any fucking sense. 
which brings us to one of the most crushingly out of place things in this movie, which isn't Satan's Alley, oddly oh. enough. That's fucking riveting. Um, the fact is... Satan's that, Alley is actually in place. Like, it works in oh, it this does. movie. Entirely. It's just it doesn't work as a Saturday Night Live uh, sequel. No, not at all. And the opening scene of Saturday Night Fever with uh travolta strutting down the street this you know shot of his shoes panning up the thing that's been parodied a hundred million times exactly and i had no idea that that was the opening scene mm. before it was the opening scene yeah it's, they've done it on simpsons family yeah. guy you fucking name it they've done it it's the bgs strutting down mm. shots of the shoes and you can tell by the way i walk cut to some shoes exactly and, yeah. yeah and that, the whole thing is not only that it's a brilliant bit of storytelling because it establishes not only him the neighborhood, his attitude, everything that's his priorities his class, right now. His class, his class, everything. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's a brilliant opening segment. You're like, I know everything I need to know about him this eating thing. a couple of pizzas off the, like from a street vendor. Oh, oh, you're in New York, like classic. Yeah. And he's carrying the paint can. You're like, oh, he's a working class boy. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this is actually setting up and he like looks at a woman and he's like, hey, and she's like, mm, and then he's like, oh, yeah. yeah. So he's a bit of a ladies man. You get all of that mm -hmm. in one song in the opening fucking scene. Mm. And, and it sets the, you for everything. And then the final scene of staying alive. Yeah, so... The there's whole one thing I gotta do. <laughs> Strut. Yeah. <laughs> and <then he laughs> say it out loud. He does. And he walks out of the building. And the thing is, the whole film, we've had maybe a few sample sort of B-side BG things with some, some Frank weird Stallone fucking BGs. <laughs> 90% Frank Stallone. Yeah. And yeah. a couple of like, fuck it, let's have some BGs. And then there. staying alive kicks in. And he's strutting down Manhattan, sort of down to Times Square. He's heading towards Times Square. Yeah, and... It doesn't really fit musically because it doesn't. It's all out of time a little so bit. So we should we should point out that this is his celebration for the dance going so well. Satan's Alley has gone so well in spite of in him one showing. Gone, yes. Just one yeah, showing. Yeah, that he in celebration he turns around to his girlfriend and goes, "She goes, what are you going to do?" And he goes. I got a strut. And then he just, <laughs> and then he just like, yeah, I'm just, just going to do... Just leaves her behind and just fucking mm. walks off. Like, it makes no sense out of nope. the context of... Because essentially she's got how... How do you feel? And he goes, so good that I need to do a daft walk. That's, <laughs> that's essentially what he's saying yeah. there. And it establishes nothing about the character nope. or the scene or that he's learned anything. And, and the thing is, doesn't a like beautiful... predict anything for no. the future of, well, what's going to happen to Tony Monero next? No, he'd be fine. He's, he's, he's going to He's going to freeze frame while strutting and then disappear, and then dissolve. dissolve out With of the With a giant shots. fucking smile on his face. Yeah. And yeah, he like cross dissolves just him and leaves just a freeze frame of Times Square. It's as the Bee Gees weird. carries on playing and the music gets top billing over all the actors. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's weird because, because ultimately there's a great moment of like, ooh, it's in the same way as a very strange comparison, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> Where the fuck are you going with this? You can come with me on this journey. So basically, the Steven Spielberg thing set up this amazing problem at the start of the film where Tom Cruise is a shitty father. And by the end of the film, it's like, oh, they're going to have to have a real show down here there'll be an amazing ending nope they're all inside but they have a sunday lunch everything's fine it's like fuck you had like one chance to make a really cool <laughs> character building moment and you pissed it away and the same thing here um his we said about his girlfriend we know what the fuck she actually is with him it's just the person that he's with at times he's with her at the beginning then tries to sleep with laura and fails then does sleep with laura then Jackie, the original girl, shows up with a different boyfriend, the aforementioned rhythm guitarist, <laughs> and Frank, <laughs> Frank Stallone himself. Film of, uh, star of stage and screen, Frank Stallone. <laughs> 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 Fucking hell. And then 
they get back together later on and he like tells her he loves her or whatever and then for some reason she sticks with him even though he sexually harasses laura again mm. in the fucking on stage on stage in front of everyone yeah so here's the before thing. the interlude of satan's alley <laughs> and then she's like ah that's fine and let's 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 love each other again yeah well, you know, in the you, middle you, of the film he, he she says to he says to her I, you know it's my character i've changed i'm not that guy anymore it's like and she says you are and you always will be and then at the end of the film he literally proves her right again and she says what was that about you just kissed that woman and said oh it wasn't it was nothing what happened again it's like how the fuck can that be? And so when she says he's going for a strut, it's like, yep, got away with it. I can still be a twat. <laughs> <laughs> they do say that the gap in Satan's Alley is the most dangerous part. Oh. So. Hey. <coughs> oh. I do. It's such a strange thing, though, because with more writing, that could have made sense. Yeah. Uh, the whole mm. relationship thing. With, but once a, again, with any writing. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> because it's so underwritten, we don't really get a sense of who these two characters are. And in relation to him. So it's like, ah, there's two forgettable people and he can't decide which one he's going to be in a relationship with. Like, and then he's in a Laura is almost an interesting character because, like I said, she has that moment of strength against him. Mm. And then it's like, now we'll just sort of get back together again and then sort of don't get back together again. Ugh. But then he gets back with Jackie. And then none of it matters. And then he sexually harasses her. And then none of that matters. Why have it in the film there's, then? There's a lot of inconsequential stuff yeah. in this. Loads oh. of shit happens for no fucking reason. Ultimately, nothing really happens and nothing really matters. Welcome to Staying Alive. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, since we enjoyed the first one so much, and the second one's a piece of garbage, anyone want to guess what the Rotten Tomato scores are for Saturday Night Fever and Staying Alive? Yes. Okay, I would good. like to guess. Please do. Cool. Uh, what's the prize? Uh, is it Tony Manera's headband? It is, yes. It's, uh, it's an all-expenses-paid trip to Satan's house. <laughs> hey! Uh, as a good My Catholic boy, I'll pass. Um, right, yeah, so basically, um, I think Saturday Night Fever was a roaring success. Mm. I think it's going to be... You're correct. Oh, it would be 90s. Uh, let's say 80s. 80, 80. Just 80. 80. Straight up 80. I think Tim? so. Tim? Uh, I'm going to go higher. I think 90. I think it deserves 90. I'm, uh, so... For Saturday Night Fever, I'm going to go higher still. I'm going to go 94. Wow. Ooh. Okay. Saturday Night Fever is 85%. Ooh. Okay. I, I think that's, I, that's, that's appropriate. That, I don't yeah. know. I think it's better than that. Really? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's okay. a 90. I really do. I do wonder if some of that was reviews of the time being like, yeah, it's disco. Yeah. Disco, yeah, fuck it's off. Just yeah, trendy, maybe. trendy stuff. Star Wars is better. Would anyone care to guess staying alive? Jack, I would also like to guess this. For the same prize, if possible. Please do. <laughs> okay. The uh, second trip to Satan's Alley. <laughs> <laughs> it's for Tony Monero's jock strap. Oh, no. fucking hell. His loincloth from Satan's Alley. Oh. It's, for, it's for Tony Monero's mom's pie. Which, oh, mama oh, pie. Yeah. Is that sexual? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I don't know. I, as I said it, I was like, oh, that sounds yeah, like you, stuff, you left it? pause in there, mom's yeah. pie. As I was saying <laughs> it, I was like... Throw the word moist in there. Mm. And then say, no, never do that. What the fuck was John Travolta wearing on his feet during Satan's Alley? Because I don't think you could see because of all that fucking dry do, ice. Did you do that thing where you like home make some sandals and just wrap tape around uh, your feet? I like, hope so. I'm Jesus. Yeah. Like, you know what? It's actually even more impressive. He was wearing roller skates. Oh, <laughs> Starlight Express. Okay, I'm going to say... One roller skate, one ice skate. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm going to say it's going to be very low because it, it was a fucking disaster. I'm going to say, um, maybe someone like it because it's Travolta. 15, maybe 20? No, okay. not 20. 50, yeah, 15. No, so, okay. wait. 17. Seven. You're going single seven. digits. No, 17. 17. 17. 17. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tim. Um, 
I'm going to be slightly more generous. I'm okay. going to say 24. Okay. And Alec, you know this one? About? I know not, this one. I think it's so good. <laughs> shall, I, shall I put the good people out of their misery? Please do. Let's you're, add it to the list. You're both way off because it's a fucking zero. zero. Oh, it's another a goose egg. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The list. That is what it fucking deserves. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Holy shit. Literally no one has ever liked this film. Yeah. Not Roger, even Sylvester Stallone. Frank Stallone loves it. Roger Ebert fucking slammed this he movie. Did. He did. He hated so, yeah. it. Uh, highlighting the bit where Sylvester, uh, where um, John Travolta apologizes to his mom for being a bad person is the film's low moment. Like, like <laughs> his all time. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's possibly the worst apology I've seen on film. Because uh, he, he does like, two or three bad apologies in this film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, I... Uh, I'm not the per. Uh, I I was a different person back. Uh, I'm not that person anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the more pie. Oh. Yeah. It, it's a 2019 politician apology. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, we're all different people. I was a different person. We're different people. Let's move on. It's like that wasn't you. me back then. Yeah. Roger Ebert sums it up pretty well, actually. What I really missed in Staying Alive was the sense of reality in Saturday Night Fever. The sense that Tony came from someplace and was somebody particular. There's no old neighbourhood, no vulgar showdowns with his family. He apologises to his mother for his attitude. Mm. And no Brooklyn eccentricity. And Tony's world has been cloned into a backstage musical. And not even a good one. This movie has one great moment. The victorious Tony says, I want to strut. And struts across Times Square while the BG sings Staying Alive. That could have been the first shot of a great sequel. It's the last shot of this terrible one. <laughs> He's wrong. It's not a good moment. It's not, <laughs> yeah, a good it's not even a good moment. It's not in time either. But, but, uh, nope. And ironically enough, the stuff that was shot in oh, yeah. Saturday Night Fever was not edited like meant for, well, sorry, it wasn't recorded to the Bee Gees songs because mm. they were still writing them for the soundtrack. And folks, if you don't know, Name your favourite three Bee Gees songs. <laughs> They're probably written for Saturday Night Fever. You've got Night Fever. You've got Staying Alive. You've got How Deep Is Your Love. Mm-hmm. Fucking name it. And it's <laughs> going to be from Staying Alive. Uh, Saturday Night Fever, sorry. None this of the good one, ones are from Staying fucking, Alive. None of them are from Staying Alive. <laughs> And apparently they were recorded to Stevie Wonder songs when they're actually playing it to John yes. Travolta. That's why he's stepping in time because they just have the same, like most disco and kind of like soul R&B stuff has that similar kind of rhythm. And yeah, he's just somehow out of time, but he is actually walking to Staying Alive in Staying Alive, but somehow out of time. Are you sure it's not like the Redetsky March? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what what is this? Good question. Good question. Fucking hell. It's the Imperial March from... (laughs) So we've fairly well established why Staying Alive is one of the weirdest, worst films the four of us have ever watched. Another zero percenter for us to tackle. What are you gentlemen going to do to try and fix this absolute pile of garbage? Well, I think really kicking it off, uh, we need to talk about Tony Manero. Oh, we do. Mm. Good old Tony. Because one of the biggest problems in Staying Alive is that sort of character reset thing they do. It's a film that... Staying Alive is a film that doesn't really know who Tony Manero is. Or rather, (laughs) doesn't want to deal with Tony Manero, the character that we had in the original Saturday Night Fever. Had Sylvester Stallone seen Saturday Night Fever, do you think? Or just the PG version of it? I think to give Stallone a bit more credit than he would normally get, I think that they precisely brought Stallone in because they went, 
we want to make this kind of movie. Mm. I think even if Stallone had come in as a purist and been like, I want to do a straight Saturday Night Fever sequel, I think that, I think that, you know, and the other thing that you've got to remember is that while Staying Alive is shit, it made loads of money. So even though it's not a very good film at all, it still did tap into something in the culture in the moment. Mm -hmm. It did well. Um, But I think that we need to think about what we're going to do with Tony's character. And I think one of the big problems that we have with this movie is the idea of Tony succeeding so easily and having so few personal demons to battle which i think is ridiculous because at the end of saturday night fever we feel we get the impression that tony is even more fucked up by the experiences that he's had in this film and by the things that he's witnessed and been privy to and let happen whether unwittingly or otherwise tony monero has been through some shit in the first film and he's you know we've seen him make bad decisions we've seen we see that he's a messed up character we see that his decisions or his indecisions have consequences that completely mess up other people's lives there's things that he's complicit in that that have devastating consequences Mm, for characters it's that thing of you need to pick up with that in the sequel And if we are going to have him lift himself out of the doldrums or whatever, then we need to see that emotional core and we need to see how he deals with that, how he's affected by it and whether he can move through it or not. And the film doesn't do that. Staying Alive doesn't do that. So we need to find a way to make that happen in our alternative version. Yeah, I think that's because Saturday Night Fever ends with Tony saying oh, I'm going to move into Manhattan, I'm going to get out of this old life and I'm going to make it. But if you have watched that movie, him and and the events that have led up to him saying that, you get the sense that, he yes, he is desperate to escape that life, but there's also very little hope that he actually is going to. Um, and I think that... Staying alive is almost like it's like you watch that film and get none of the like subtext of that scene and just go, oh, OK, well, he's made the decision to escape. And so he's going to escape now and that'll mm. be great and mm. it'll be lovely. I think even if he does escape, there have to be some ramifications to that. It's not entirely it's not just that he pulls himself up by his bootstraps and he leaves and everything's fine. It's that idea that he has to. We have to see him struggle. We have to see him still dealing with his demons. We have to see those... Generally thought you were going to say we have to see him strut then. Well, <laughs> that too. But I mean... Eventually. You know, and we need to see we need to see that process being difficult mm. for him. We need to put him through the ringer. And we don't really do that in Staying Alive. Staying, yeah, Staying Alive, like we said. He's a great dancer who doesn't get jobs for no reason. Gets both of the women sort of and then has no consequences. Fucks up and really messes with Satan's alley right at the end. And everybody goes, brilliant, amazing. <laughs> and the director's like, don't do a solo, you mentalist. Like, oh. No consequences it's whatsoever. It's worth pointing so. out, he gets so many auditions in this film, and most professionals in this industry struggle. I have to work so hard just to get in the room. And he's like, eh, whatever. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. yeah. He, Appreciate where you are, you piece of shit. Look where you've come from. All of the struggles that he faces are the, feel really artificial. Uh, they don't come from who he is yeah. or the situation that he's in. They're just, oh, well, he can't have it completely easy, but then he just kind of does anyway. So I tell you what I'd like to do with this. I tell you how I would like to fix this. I would like to have a movie 
where we have a Tony Monero for whom things haven't exactly worked out. Mm -hmm. I don't want him to have gone down the glitz and glamour route. I want him to have tried that, and I want for his issues to have gotten in the way. I want for his problems to have... I want to start a movie where he has tried it and it hasn't worked and his problems and his demons have gotten in the way and his demons continually come back to haunt him and he's still dealing with the grief and processing the guilt from all of these things that have happened. And the other characters from the first movie still need to be very much present in his life. I mm. think even if he has tried to escape them, he's fallen back in with the same old crowd. So I think that's important that we have that continuity that connection to his character in the first film. So I think we really need to establish those elements. But I don't necessarily want to see a sequel where Tony Monero is a successful dancer. Mm. because, Or if I do, I want to see he's a successful dancer with immense personal demons as a result of the life that he's lived. Because the whole, oh, he's the embodiment of the American dream, just doesn't at all fit what mm. they established in the in that movie absolutely yeah so that that would be my fix is we need a more grounded tony monero take it back to the reality of saturday night yeah. fever yeah who needs to be a uh less overtly likable and more i mean he's not exactly likable in staying alive i thought i was really charming because he's just terribly written but he's clearly they're clearly attempting to write him to make him a more likable underdog and then just not succeeding at it i want to stick with the tony monero who has the shades of that because he's like the best of a terrible bunch of people. Mm. We see that he's better than the crowd that he's with, yeah. but he gets dragged down by them. I want to see those moments where he's a selfish bastard yeah. and where that has consequences. I might even want to do something where he's gone back on some of those promises that he made in that first film. So if he's talking about how he doesn't drink and he doesn't smoke and he doesn't do drugs and he's... Well, maybe he does smoke, but he doesn't drink, he doesn't do drugs and mm. he's kind of clean and dancing is his high well what about if we have a character who is on the rocks and is turning to that stuff as the dancing is drying up because mm. um, that's the other thing we need to kind of address and i think you're going to one of you's going to come on to this in a bit i'm sure mm. but the idea that as disco dries up his prospects also should be drying up mm -hmm. this shouldn't be plain sailing for him and we kind of need to address that um and that needs to be a knock that his character takes as well what i'd really like to see is especially for tony is on a thematic level that you wouldn't need to know about, but students would write about, is a comparison between Tony Monero and America, full stop. The idea <laughs> that there's someone with this horrific past where horrible shit happens, and then you either do the staying alive style thing where you say, and it all worked out fine, everything's really good. It's like, yeah, you can paint that surface, but that's not what it is. Well, you could actually say, no, this is how America's become. It's part of you, you can't in, you know, I mean, there is a good person in Tony Monero somewhere, He's, you know, he is consciously aware of racism and uh, all these different situations in his environment. He just doesn't know how to deal with it and he just wants to get away from it. Then the question is whether we give him a means of dealing with it or yeah, not as yeah. well. But there has to be some conflict and some struggle there in order for that to happen. And I think the other, we talk about like the context of, of Disco being kind of faded away at this point. And as much as the 80s aesthetic in film was you know reagan optimism and you know let's put a shiny sheen on everything new york was a sh even more of a shithole in the 80s than it was in, or it was an equal amount of shithole <laughs> as it was in the 80s as it, uh, in the 70s and mm. it's like like 
and dr- really and dangerous. Super dangerous. Like drugs. You've got the beginnings of the AIDS crisis, like hitting. Mm. Like this is not the setting for a shiny, happy story of someone's success. So, in the same way that. Tony is just a new person. Um, as Alec mentioned earlier, we have to bring back some of the supporting characters. And more importantly, not only that, this whole film is a complete disconnect from the first, mm-hmm. from, from Saturday Night Fever, in terms of its location, its attitude, its its tone in general, its supporting characters. There are so many, uh, for lack of a better word, rich, because they are awful human beings, but there are rich characters that are just never addressed in this movie. I mean, the fact that he has a brother who's a priest says, you need to go get out and follow your dream and make it, you'll probably do it. And that sort of confidence inspires him on most of things. But there's none of that here. And that sort of that disconnect needs to be addressed. And uh, as a strange thing, other than casting and story, what we need to, to fix that is not bringing Sylvester Stallone. So Stallone has to go. Um, and from you know and all his team the editing the uh direction everything will not no work. more fucking close-ups <laughs> oh yeah, my the... god not fitting a person's face into the fucking shot mm. over and over and over again drove me mental I, i'll tell you if, if you recut that with a different score he is a disturbed individual who's gonna <laughs> kill everyone because amount of like really wide-eyed you know panic stares that are so tight and it's like is he directing like a, sh- a remake of like Psycho or something? I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> so, so you're bringing in Gus Van Sant, is what you're saying? That's uh, the only logical choice. Uh, no. So part of what we'll, part of our fix we'll come to later is also the idea, as, as Alec mentioned about, and, and Tim mentioned as well about the idea of disco and the, this idea of moving away from the 70s and the change of environment. So without giving the game away too much, the director we're bringing on to fix this problem is somebody who's quite versatile. Um, Every one of his films is dramatically different from each one of them. Now, when we were watching uh, Staying Alive Together, I made an observation. I thought, oh, actually, this is an interesting point. Saturday Night Fever has a lot of similar beats to, of all things, Eight Mile. (laughs) (laughs) I remember you bringing this up, Yeah. yeah. And it's... It's such as every reaction is like, fuck off. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, it's a guy who is linked to his neighborhood and his friends who are all fucking shit people. He's desperately trying to get out and can't. And by the end of the film, <clears throat> slight differences with, with Monero, he still thinks he might be able to. There's an optimistic sort of hope. Whereas, whereas um, in Eminem's case with, with Rabbit, he's like, I'm just going to, I'm done now. I've, I've did what I wanted to do. I, I did my battle. I'm going back to the factory now. I'm going to the plant. I need to just, you know, provide and just put this to bed. And for that reason, I genuinely believe Curtis Hansen could be the perfect person to do this because he's the kind of guy who can give you um, the emotionality. Be- and also he knows how to pull a camera back <laughs> <laughs> and just give you he a knows scene. how to film humans. Yeah. I mean, can you, every- get, can you get any closer? <laughs> you sure? Closer. They're steaming up the lens now. The, the, the lens is an inch from, from his face, Sylvester. I, like, I don't know if we can... I like his nose. <laughs> Closer. I wanna, the cut chin, out the hair. The chin's amazing. I want to see him all oiled up. I want to be able to see the oil. God, he was oiled up. He was oiled up. Good Lord. And I don't think Hanson would bring oil in. Show me his nose again. <laughs> so 
again, that that and again, it's it's a hard thing to describe without seeing the film. But hopefully, hopefully by now you will be thinking to yourselves, I really want to see at least a clip of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very hard to watch. So the way Saturday Night Fever was shot is very reminiscent of the of its origins. So it comes from an article which later turned out to be fabricated basically well, a bloke in yorkshire <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly it's like oh it's not actually about this entire scene at all it's about mods in britain and you're like oh oh and it makes sense but it's still so you can translate and relate to something else and that, that's kind of fine but it was shot in a way that felt 70s for like a better way but it sort of almost feels in a handheld in a way it's very um long sort of long take sort of things and it, it's it's a nice uh, cinematography throughout whereas this it's so erratic the direction's so bad it makes no sense the s- locations used in Manhattan are some of the weirdest it shows Central <laughs> Park and you think it's just a grey fucking park mm-hmm. it's really bo- nothing- it's just a bunch of concrete and you're like that's supposed to be Central Park yeah, like, Wait, nothing what? has a sense of awareness of character of self and things like that and again if you think about Hansen's work on LA Confidential or even 8 Mile in Detroit what a fucking movie yeah, LA Confidential yeah. it's, it's the thing that it, he brings so much personality to everything about what's being shown what's being represented and the characters themselves and the story they're telling and I think that's what this needs because as much as this is a dancing movie as much as Saturday Night Fever is a dancing movie. In the same way everyone believes it's a dancing movie. The truth is, it's a working class kid trying to get out and realizing that, or, you know, the classic American dream of you'll make it one day, kid, just try real hard, is more likely you're probably going to end up, ex- you're going to die probably maybe 10 feet where you fucking start. Jesus. Um, and that's about it. You'll end up like, you know, maybe you'll be in your mom's home kind of thing. And it's this really depressing... You'll jump off a bridge. Yeah, either that. That's, yeah, it's a two of alternatives. Yeah, the, the neighborhood will trap and destroy you. Like uh, Clint Eastwood's um, uh, Mystic River sort of thing. It's, it's that sort of like, this neighborhood will define you. If it, I mean, if it wasn't a New York story, it'd be a Boston story kind of thing. Um, so I think, I think Hanson's the way forward to fix this um, in a manner that would be entertaining, pleasing... But again, most importantly, we have to move it out of the 70s, we have to move it out of the 80s, and we have to then get to our next issue because we don't really know where to settle this. We're thinking the 90s is the perfect place for multiple reasons, especially because Hanson is a director, great time, um, musically speaking, but then we hit a Good time for Travolta as well. Good, great time for yeah, Travolta, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a resurgent through Tarantino. Pop fiction in 94 and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, yeah, makes sense. I think, yeah, so one of the issues, and I think that we need to get it away from... 1983 because uh making in terms of what we were talking about with stylistic and tonal differences and with tony monero being such a different character it would be really difficult to make this kind of movie to the kind of scale that they wanted to make it in the context of the mid 1980s yeah um because this is very much a film of its time and trying to fit the era Rather than having Saturday Night Fever was such a film of the zeitgeist, but by the time you get to Staying Alive, you're having to make a film that fits into the 80s mold, and that doesn't do it any favours. Mm. So we do need to move it forward. We do. But, of course, the question is to where? Mm. We need to move it out of the 80s, definitely. The great thing about moving it into the 90s is that we get to deal with an older Travolta mm-hmm. who has failed, who has failed to uh, follow his dream, who has been ground down by life. Because he was 40 in Pulp Fiction, I think, like late 30s, 41, 41, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's, like you said, that brings the character a lot further from being 19 in the original. 
Yeah, so we get to see the consequences of that. We get to see him kind of ground down and, and all the rest of it. Mm. We get to play out what didn't work. But the question is, where do we pitch it? And the reason that that is such a question is because, Mr. Matum? Uh, dance. Music. <laughs> Music. Um, yeah, the shifting it forward to the 90s, like we said, is in a lot of ways makes the most sense, but it also brings up some really fundamental problems. Saturday Night Fever is a really interesting film because it, it manages to arrive in time for disco still being a thing. Hollywood moves incredibly slowly. It is very hard to make a film. Mm, uh, it mm. takes a long while. It takes a lot of things going right. It is it, People always say, like, at the end of the day, it's a miracle that any film ever gets made. And disco had only really emerged in the early 70s. Like, you can track the roots of it back, but it's about 72, 73 when it starts to emerge. And the fact that Saturday Night Fever came along and took advantage of that phenomenon for 77 is incredible. And it's exactly when disco is moving from a kind of an underground phenomena in New York to a mainstream one. A big part of this is because it's produced by Rod Stigwood, who's a famous music manager of the era, yeah. the owner of RSI Records, who uh, the Bee Gees were the, uh, put out the soundtrack on. Hence the Bee Gees, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that it's having somebody outside of the Hollywood industry who has their finger on the pulse of the music industry who mm. is able to turn mm. around and go, this is, this is big. Because it also kind of prefigures things in terms of the idea of that tie-in pop music soundtrack album and music videos and all of those things mm. that becomes a staple of the 80s by mm. the time you get to Purple Rain or whatever. Sure. But it's kind of doing that before that happens, which yeah. I think is interesting. Um, but yeah, it is definitely a challenge. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because the film kind of briefly touches on elements of the fact that disco emerged from like the black club scene, the Latino club scene and the uh, sort of gay club scene in New York. And you get a little couple of nod, like there's a lot of tension, like one of the kind of subplots in Saturday Night Fever is that there's tension between Tony and his kind of gang of, uh, it, it's weird to call them a gang because they just seem like four idiots who hang out together. But <laughs> they, they, I think mm. they do kind of think of themselves as a gang. Like us. Yeah. Uh, Four idiots who hang out and think we're a gang. Except, <laughs> except we are yet to crash a car into a like rival podcast, rival podcast <laughs> show, abandoned like building. We're coming for you, Super A Bit Power Hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it does touch on it, slightly on these elements of race, and also it's uh, you know the the final disco competition. Tony decides to give his trophy and his winnings away to uh, a Puerto Rican couple who did actually. He, in his eyes, were better dancers yeah, and yeah. won the competition. Um, and then there's a couple of bits of fun '70s homophobia in the uh, in the uh, early in the film. But you know, it's this thing of like actually that's where disco came from. Yeah. But so Saturday Night Fever did an incredible job of just kind of catching disco at exactly the crest of the wave. Like '77 is like that's when Donna Summer's "I Feel Love" comes out. That's when you get the the move over to a 12 inch disco single so that you can play it for a long time in clubs and mm, DJs mm. can mix it better and stuff like that. Yeah. It's um 
if we move it forward in time, we we kind of bandied around 95 as a date because we were um, one of the kind of the plot ideas that we were coming up with afterwards when we were discussing having having watched Staying Alive and uh, fairly ripped it to shreds. Mm-hmm. Um, we liked the idea of having Tony act as a kind of mentor to a younger dancer and there's a lot of things you can do with that. You can have, it, it brings up obviously his own memories of having kind of failed to make it. If we're going to assume that's the path that he's taking. Um, we can have the question of like, is this someone who's naturally talented that he's trying to encourage to chase their dream when they can't make it? Perhaps it's someone who he sees kind of the beginnings of talent in and he's like pushing them really hard to succeed mm. maybe it's someone that he sees talent in and he's basically trying to exploit them mm. and try and kind of make a buck off them where he failed and live vicariously through them and stuff like that yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. there's parents. there's a lot of story potential there the problem is uh, and 1995 worked really well for that because if if you took someone young so 18 they would have been born when the previous film was set uh, and that works really nicely mm. um potentially ties into the rather horrible uh rape scene at the end we mm. were thinking of like oh okay maybe we'll have annette the character uh show up and just basically be or, or possibly have passed away and just said to her you know child like okay go back to the old neighborhood you know you'll make it there kind of thing or some mm. something along those lines the problem is, is if, if you look at music in 1995 and and the kind of club scene in 1995, it is radically different to what, what yeah, existed yeah. with disco. It's not really the kind of place where skill as a dancer is something that's celebrated. You know, you've got rave where nobody is... You, we, we kind of all... Uh, Alec and I, when we were watching it, we were kind of astonished at the scenes of, like, the, the clubbing in Saturday Night Fever because... You do not go to a club now and have everyone agree to move to the sides of the mm. dance floor so that one person can take it over, show off their moves, and then we all applaud and agree that they were great and what we saw was wonderful and that it was totally deserved of us separating apart and, you know, shaking up our evening for. No. What we you... have is is the scene in Staying Alive where he's a waiter trying to move through a room that's full of people yes. and he keeps dropping his fucking drinks. Absolutely. Exactly, yes. Um so yeah if if you're trying to like do disco dancing in the middle of like a euphoric club scene hmm. that ain't gonna work um and it's also you know that i'm imagining the blood rave from blade just like <laughs> yeah and that's pumping the thing techno and crazy like, vampires house, just, and shit. house yeah. music yeah exactly. but nobody's nobody's moving to one side uh, you don't come across Fuck blade no. just like it's Blade wades through the crowd yeah. and then suddenly there's the just one The whole point of vampire. that scene is it's really claustrophobic and you don't know what's going on exactly, yeah. Yeah. So kind of looking to the club scene doesn't really provide us with any solutions. And we kind of hit upon a problem here because there are, I think there are interesting things you could do. You could have it be a different genre of music and tap into the idea that it's still an escape. Like, I mean, I came up with one solution and that was... The Macarena. Yes. Someone who is extremely <laughs> good at the Macarena. Give a fucking second of dead air for that. <laughs> and now we're moving on. You're yeah. welcome. You're welcome. It's easy to learn, Matt. It's difficult to master. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how great John Travolta does the Macarena. He's just an immaculate dancer. I'm not going to lie. I bet he doesn't get it. 
<laughs> no, he fucking nails it. He Just, nails all the dances. I've never seen he goes that. from disco to interpretive dance. Oh, yeah. Somewhere <laughs> in the middle there. Macarena. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think like you can do stuff with it being perhaps even a musician um, and but still have that idea of music as an escape from a kind of the drudgery of working class life. Um, or we could even push it later and there's a few different things like um, you could then perhaps move into like either hip hop dancing or the kind of the Latin resurgence that happens at the end of the 90s. But again, we're pushing older and, you know, that that kind of mixes up the story think, a bit. Yeah, my fear was something like the it has to be something that in on one hand feels really alien mm. to Tony Monero. It has mm. to be something that makes him th feel old, mm. which is why I like the idea of hip hop, because mm. that is such a move away. And you've got that interesting thing of then this idea of, uh, you know, white kids getting into black roots music and, yeah. kind of, you know, that that whole working class American kids identifying with mm. um, sort of music. That Which ties back into 8 Mile so. as well. Yeah. yeah. Quite yeah. nicely. Yeah. So you could you could do something like that with it but yeah it's the i like the idea of him being completely alien to the music because that makes mm. him feel old my problem with latin revival is it's not so alien to him that he wouldn't it is yeah. revival rather than something new that's true. yeah that's true. whereas disco wasn't a revival it was something that felt quite radical at yes. the time the um the other thing that i was going to float which again is very much taking it down the well it's music rather than dance that is the release I quite like the idea of him having to deal with some riot girl uh, music <laughs> of like yeah. just angry punk female like yeah. garage band um, and uh, and sort of being like I don't know what this is but I can kind of recognise that they're very angry and passionate about it yeah or again like you know DJs or whatever just That's something exactly that what is I was gonna say. something that is. Um, a world away from what he does. Well, Especially if you could have a great sequence where the, the person in question remixes Staying Alive. And mm. there's a whole oh. sequence based around them taking what mm. he does. And, and Tony starts yeah. dancing while he's like scratching. Well, see, this, this is what I was going to say. The idea that we talked about the origins of disco earlier and the idea that it came from the people in the club scene playing um, counterculture style music, things that from Europe or something that was just different. And then eventually it became more mainstream, more popular. But it was still DJs playing to a group of people. And I think that connection between a DJ and a dancer is a really interesting one to bring back, especially if you've got like the sort of straight out of Compton style NWA era where it transitions from people taking soul and other different styles and changing it into something entirely different and him not being aware of it, but having a connection to it somehow. Well, especially if you can literally have them remixing things from... From the, the film. film. Especially if he is able to turn around to them and go, hey, this is the Bee Gees. This is great. <laughs> Use it. Chuck them the record and then have them incorporate that into their set or whatever. Almost like somebody rapping over the top of the, the like... BG's backing track as well. That would almost work quite well. I got to throw this up there now, though. I will not have a John Travolta white savior in this film. <laughs> it has to be. No, 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 <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, not. I kind of imagine John Travolta sort of still has to go off the rails in it. I think yeah. I'm, part of me would almost consider um, killing John Travolta off during Ooh. the movie. During I a, quite a dance like, sequence, a yeah, break, I quite like the idea of. I quite like the idea of having a sequence where he's had a falling out with his young protege. And he is so angry that I kind of like the idea that in this movie, John Travolta would own the dance studio. 
and that Ooh, is okay. his connection yeah. Yeah. to so he's bought the dance studio off of the guy mm. from the first film and he's still that's his connection to that world he's now 2001 the guy Odyssey, runs, that yeah, one. yeah 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 so he's now the guy who <laughs> runs the studio mm. and um i like that idea that he studio. doesn't yeah yeah and he's kind of you know, he's down on his luck alcoholic. He's not in great shape. He's not in great mm. health anymore. And I like this idea that he has a big argument with this character, mm. his protege. You know, that that moment that you have in these kinds of movies. And then he's like, well, and he goes and in a rage, he puts on his record. And it's like, no, your, your medication, Tony, <laughs> don't do it. And like does a massively over the top Saturday Night Fever Giant star karate routine. Giant has a huge has aneurysm. A, has a, yeah, has a heart attack and, <laughs> and like is in intensive care for the rest of the movie and then dies. Fuck that, it. That would be the... That's a bold that choice, but I don't, ha- I don't dislike yeah. it. I do love rage dancing in films. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And what better film to have a rage dance than a Saturday Night Fever? And I, I, I'm just, I'm picturing it like, because I, I do like the idea of it being a DJ, um, but for it to feel alien to him, I quite like the idea of it being like a really like sample heavy, like yeah. cut the hell up DJ. And so now I'm just picturing uh, the, the the protege is the two shitty kids from High Fidelity. That's <laughs> <stop lift wrecking>. <laughs> <laughs> hell. Yeah. Jesus Christ. But it, yeah, it would have to be something like that. Yes, I agree. And the idea that this person is, this person can take a lot from Travolta and from the encouragement mm. that he gives them but also they run the risk of making the mistakes that he is making. There needs to be another pull there, possibly a... He has to be the, the moral tale or the, or the cautionary tale. Yeah. Don't become me, focus yeah. on this and, and become good. And his death has to then be the thing that catalyzes them to go, okay, I'm not going down the partying route. I'm going down the, yeah. I'm going to make this into my craft. I'm going to be serious yeah. at this and I'm going to succeed kind of thing. Yeah. I think you'd need another pull in there as well, as well as tony you need like a you need a like a partner or somebody who is the kind of the 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 yang to his well the protege would have to have their own story and wouldn't be just the servicing tony if anything tony would be the supporting role yes tony is the supporting role and it's new funny enough sylvester's the loaning creed style yes yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. that would work and this new younger character is the is the focus but i meant the younger character's partner they need like a romantic partner who is leading them in a better direction and then they need like a, a group of friends who are leading mm. them towards where tony was boys in the hood whatever yeah you, you can even do the thing of which we kind of touched on earlier of like having them they you know have the option of like perhaps like some kind of music scholarship that they could go for or they mm. could pursue this music they're passionate about and tony's lesson is like no do the education because I had no formal training and I tried to just make it on passion alone and I got enough. laughed yeah. out of the place. Like you need to stay know stay in what school you're doing. kids. Yeah, stay in school kids. Learn how to read a fucking contract. Yeah. <laughs> Which but again on around the time for NWA and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that absolutely. is a huge absolutely, factor. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kids coming up and being basically misled by some old fucking white guy. Well, I mean, that's basically the music industry well since done. 19. Yeah, yeah. 40. <laughs> I would say since 1732. <laughs> so, that sounds like a much better film than Staying Alive because mm. it couldn't be worse. I don't think there's anything you could do that could have been worse. I'm disappointed you didn't keep Satan's Alley. We, that, was, we, that was such a highlight. I was going to say, we haven't named it yet. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> if it's not maybe that's Satan's the, Alley. Yeah, maybe not, that's the club where the... Uh, the oh, kid, there we yeah. go. That's, yeah. Yeah, if it's not oh, Sunday morning hangover, then it has to be Satan's Alley. So if you 
have any suggestions for staying alive on how to fix it or Jesus Christ, any anything else that isn't the original fucking piece of shit. <laughs> or just, you know, health tips, not dying, you know, yeah. healthy living, that sort of thing. <laughs> tips staying alive. <laughs> yeah. Staying alive, exactly. Uh, just like a bunch of people like, go vegan or something. It's like, yeah, it's a nice try. Um, you can email us, sequelizers at gmail.com. You can reach us on the social medias, sequelizers on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And that weird one I mentioned, that some weird Chinese vine thing that's not a thing anymore, <laughs> but is a thing. Quibi, whatever that was, who knows? It's still not a thing. I'm too far we're, ahead of the game. We're not on there, but there might be someone claiming to be us on there. <laughs> you bastards. Speak to them, I bet they're nice. Yeah, nicer than us. Yeah, yeah. bastards. Speaking of people nicer than us, how do people contact you on the internet, Mr. Stogden? Uh, you can find me strutting my stuff on Twitter and Instagram and the places under Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. The S stands for Stogden. Stru- um, <laughs> and I also do filmmaking stuff. Cheese Mint, you can search out and find things. And you can also read my reviews of films at theredrighthand.co.uk. I think that's pretty much everything. I don't dance. I have a real problem with dancing because as an Irishman, I'm like, I really want to dance. I dance around the house all the time. As an Englishman, I hold my hand up and say, oh, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> so I'm in my own house, I'll dance like a, like a twat every day. But then I go outside and someone says, oh, Matt, come to Unleash the jig, Matthew. Nope. Unleash. Nope, can't do it. The jig. Can't do it. Won't do it. Fuck you. Speaking of unleashing the jig... How can people follow you on the internet, Tim? Um, I'll be your private dancer, dancer oh. for money. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter is the best place. Uh, I am trivia underscore lad on there. Um, I dance all the time. <laughs> I've seen I don't it. I've seen Tim dance, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, at your own birthday, I believe. I Probably. I'll dance at... <laughs> My birthday, your birthday, <laughs> any fucker's birthday. <laughs> any of the listeners' birthday, if you need to book a dance. I've yeah. seen Kieran Gillen DJing and yes. him so the only one on the dance floor. So have I. I saw Jack. the exact same thing. Jack, he's dancing right now. I don't know why you find this so hard to believe. <laughs> I just said I've seen it multiple times. Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's probably the best place to follow me. Um, uh, yeah, ask me about music. Kieran Gillen. I'll, te- I'll, te- I'll tell you what my favourite BG song is. Nice. Alec, speaking of favourite Bee Gees songs, what's your favourite Bee Gees song? Um, oh, and also how can people follow you on social media and stuff? So, yeah, I quite like Tragedy. Um, oh, not the okay. song, just things going the horribly wrong. The steps cover, you mean, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All about age. Um, I don't dance. I bang my fucking head yeah. in <laughs> Monster City. Hard rock extraordinaires, along with Jack Fancy Man Chambers over I, here. I don't know how you didn't set this in like 1986 on like yeah. the Master of Puppets tour and <laughs> Travolta's a roadie and yeah. it's all gone horribly wrong. <laughs> hey, how are you guys down picking? Um, yeah, that's so, a fucking niche joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good lord. So, uh, yeah, uh, I do, yeah, heavy, heavy goddamn metal music and Monster City with my man Jack Chambers playing the bass guitar. We do. Um, it's good. Yeah, we got some music coming out soon. Uh, watch out for that. MonsterCityBand.com is where you can follow all of that and, you know, look out for our upcoming album release. As always, you can't trust our rhythm guitarist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's pervert which, which one they're a bunch of perverts all, yeah. all, all three of you well, yeah <laughs> um yeah so that's uh that's that um i'm alec underscore plowman on twitter my website is www.alecplowman.com hey if you have a look on the internet you can find places where i'm writing about guitars and stuff because that's what i do when i'm not doing this jack 
Hello. Jack. Tell hey. us about yourself. Jack. I dance. Jack. I dance so much. JLW Chambers is where you can watch me dance. I don't I used to have jlwchambers.com. I don't anymore because I have no need for a website. Mm. But if you want to follow me on social media, maybe I'll post some like dancing Instagram videos just to keep you all happy. Shit, yeah. Because I'm really sweaty right now and dancing's what I need to do to like cool myself down, obviously. I might actually film that. Um I think this is a prime time to mention to people. So yeah, we are sweating our bollocks <laughs> off. <in the laughs> Doing sequelizers is hard work. Ooh. Sometimes incredibly warm work. Mm. And the way that you can make this easier on the team, the way that you can help us produce A-grade premium quality Sweat. happening content is by giving us money. So we can Patreon. buy an air-conditioned studio. So yeah, <laughs> so that we, air conditioning so that we don't quality. so that we don't have to work in Matt's fucking sweltering living room with the leather suite. Whose idea was that, Stog? Then mine. Yeah, <laughs> I bet it was. You were like, you were like, I need a suite that matches my assless chat. <laughs> Did I ever mention that I'm a was... rhythm guitarist? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Oh, it was God. all part of an extremely long-term plan to fill his house with. Sequelizer Musk. <laughs> oh man, you bottle could, it. You could bottle and sell that shit right now. Exclusive uh, yeah. patrons. So yeah, yeah patreon.com forward slash sequelizers. And once again, I've said this a couple of times now, but thank you to everybody who is a patron at the moment. It makes a huge difference to us uh and you know our ability to do this show. The other thing I would say is please, 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 if you enjoy the podcast, then do share it around, leave a positive comment on your podcast service of choice. Uh, uh, like, share, subscribe, all that business. If you're listening to it and not subscribed yet, do that because that stuff also makes a big difference to us and our ability to keep doing this. So spread the word about sequelizers. Tell your mum, tell your gran, tell your cousin, tell your pets, tell, tell everyone. Tell your Italian-American mum and then eat some of her pie, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that... The, uh... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was I a got scene in that Saturday movie I watched. As we speak of the Patreon, one of the things that we just put up there uh, in time for this episode will be a commentary on Staying Alive that yes. we recorded while we were watching it for the first time, yeah. for most of us anyway. It was just as fucking hot. It was yeah. It was almost as hot as it was today. Yep. So it's another chance to listen to some extremely sweaty sequelizers. Uh, the sound quality isn't great because we were using a new setup and stuff. But I think it's a really fun. It's 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 a, good it's it's a good. window we, into. We our had a process. great time. Yes. Um, if you if you want to pretend you're in the room with the sequelizers, then I mean it won't smell like ass. <laughs> like it does in here I mean, at the moment. But you can I'm sure get that the, could be arranged. You can get the sounds of ass if not the smells <laughs> by uh, patreon.com forward slash sequelizers and getting your sweet sweet bonus content and then sync up your copy your <laughs> well-worn vhs copy of staying alive i feel i wish we had watched it on vhs we watched it we streamed it in the way that you know From sky that, tv yeah, i believe yeah. in the way that you know modern humans modern humans do but like it would have been so much better if we had been watching that on a 22 inch crt yeah you know <laughs> Ex, At least we've had a rental video cassette in port for the fucking earphones oh yeah uh, yeah that was fun anyway bye